Hello, and welcome to the Stockout. Mike Bowden-Distel here from Freight Waves. I'm an analyst and market expert here. Follow the rail intermodal industries and the CPG industry and uh, help out some of our financial customers as well. Uh, we have the Stockout now at a new time, which is Monday afternoon at uh, 1 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Eastern. Um, so bringing you the sh- show live from from Dallas. Um, so hope everyone's had a great great. Uh, you know, Easter weekend. And uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is a little bit of what I expect uh, to take place during uh, the, the earnings season that's coming up. Um, you have J.B. Hunt reporting today, you have a number of CPG companies that will be reporting. Um, you know, some have already reported. Um, but, you know, what I'm expecting those companies to say, a lot has changed in the world since the last time those companies reported earnings. So I think we may see uh, more changes um, to forecast in the first quarter than we typically than we typically have. Also, I'll talk a little bit about um, you know some of the other CPG related topics that to me have been a pretty big deal. I think the baby formula shortage has been on the top of mind of a lot of uh, consumers. So I'll talk a little bit about uh, that, and um, I think there's implications for things like convenience store sales returning to pre-pandemic levels of CPG companies ramping up their capital spending. Um, in order to bring in some more uh, capacity in-house. So I'll talk about those things. Um, but before I get started, just a couple of, of items. Um, if uh, CPG supply chains are of interest to you, um, yeah, please go to this graphic. If you're if you're watching the, the video portion, you just go to FreightWaves.com, go up to newsletters, and it's the very first newsletter under supply chains. Um, you'll get my uh, articles uh, you know, once or twice every week. Uh, really, I have discretion of, of what I talk about sort of within those constraints. So it'll be on a variety of, of topics, but uh, try to keep it uh, fresh, uh, try to include something uh, that really, um, you know, directly goes to CPG supply chains, um, you know, either from the perspective of, you know, the shippers, you know, carriers um, from Wall Street, uh, et cetera. But, um, you know, try to keep that fresh uh, every week. So I encourage you to do that. Um, Freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout for for that newsletter. And also, um, if you're not already signed up for it, I hope you can join us at our in-person conference, uh, which takes place May 9th and 10th. It's going to be the Monday and Tuesday after uh, Mother's Day in Northwest Arkansas at the Rogers Convention Center, uh, which is easy to get to, uh, provided that you live in someplace like Dallas or Chicago. If not, you probably have to fly through a Dallas or a Chicago and, and some good um, you know, companies there that, you know, are, are in the CPG industry, you know, Nestle, Unilever, Tyson, um, you know, those companies, uh, you know, Nestle has really performed well during the the, the pandemic, um, you know, through that last quarter, they've really been impressive. Tyson has been as well. Um, you know, of course, the debate rages on whether Tyson is, you know, increasing its prices so much because that industry is too concentrated, or um, whether that's just the function of, general uh, changes to the marketplace with the packaged meat companies having difficulty finding people, uh, et cetera. So um, you have about a thousand people signed up. It should be a great uh, party and a great way to um, you know, meet people. I look forward to meeting um, you know, not just people who have seen me on the stock out, but who do, who do you know, follow freight markets in general and are um, sonar, sonar customers. They do a lot of work with existing uh, sonar customers um, as well. And so with that, it's just a couple of uh, items um, to get out of the way. Uh, wanted to highlight, um, you know, some of the, the main takeaways from, from last week's uh, The Stock Out, which I had a really good guest from IRI. Um, you know, don't have a guest today, but, you know, had, had two excellent guests the past two weeks. So I would encourage you to go back and, and check those out. But, you know, last week, 
interviewed um, KK DeVay, who is a um, anal- analytics director at a company called IRI. And, you know, IRI actually has a lot in common, you know, from my perspective with, with freight waves, you know, it's in a similar manner that, that freight waves is an expert on all things freight and supply chains. IRI really knows the CPG space well, and they know the grocery space well, the retail space. And so, um, you know, they were helping us out with, you know, putting together some of the pieces, um, you know, they, they have lots of good data on, you know, what's, you know, what's happening in the marketplace in terms of, um, you know, elasticity of the various you know, segments, which is a, a major uh, issue that's, that, that's taking place well, but I'll, I'll run through a few, um, you know, highlights from, from that interview. Uh, so the first thing is, um, you know, IRI doesn't seem any, I see any reason why inflation is going to go away anytime soon. Say, they say it's not going to go, you know, you know, slow down for the next six to nine months. So it'll persist into, into next year. Um, so they also think CPGs, um, you know, profit and loss statements, those are still going to be under pressure. Um, you know, they expect groceries to range up in the 8% to 10%, eight to 11% range. You know, I saw the, the latest, um, you know, data from the government is that groceries are higher by about 10% year over year. Um, and some of the the comments that I get uh, back when you know I talk about that that data is you know the reality of the situation is no one's seeing a ten percent increase in their grocery prices. It's a lot worse than that, um, and we're not sure where the government's getting its data, but it just doesn't seem to be uh, matching what a lot of people that I hear from are seeing. Uh, you know, when 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 they go shopping, you know, I do wonder if if some of those uh, you know people are having meat buyers. Uh, you see them the meat prices are up. In some cases, twenty percent. In some cases, forty percent. That's really been, um, you know, the, the 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 biggest area of inflation within food has been uh, packaged uh, meat. Some of the other interesting takeaways from that IRI interview is that, um, you know, KK noted that you know during the pandemic, you know, a lot of the the, the drive drivers of the, the increased consumption for CPGs were the lower and middle income consumers, like, um, you know, specifically said some of the, the lower income consumers, you know, would typically represent, let's say 25% of, of the sales. And they represented about a hundred percent of the growth. So, you know, remember the uh, CPG industry, um, when the pandemic hit, everyone, um, you know, stayed at home, you know, CPG companies across the board, particularly in the nationwide brands, those saw an increase in, in, in sales. And it did seem like a lot of that was coming from, uh, you know, lower income consumers that sort of live paycheck to paycheck. They had more in their pocket to spend because of all the stimulus uh, uh, money because they were, um, you know, didn't have to, to commute all, all of those things. So, um, you know, that was something that, you know, you think that's going to, um, you know, reverse itself in the coming months. Uh, you know, IRI also expects CBG companies to increase their CapEx to bring some of the more manufacturing capacity in-house. That's something that I was interested in from a supply chain perspective, a lot of the CPG companies, um, you know, are still operating, you know, pretty significantly above pre-pandemic levels. They've had to call in a lot of contract manufacturing, which has the benefit of, of flexibility, has the drawback of being more expensive. So he thinks, you know, a lot of CPG companies are going to spend that capital to expand their in-house, uh, you know, manufacturing under the, the thought that, you um, you know, the, the work from home phenomenon, hybrid work schedules is here to stay. So I um, thought that was interesting. Um, you know, some of the, the creative ways that CPG companies have have, have uh, found to, you know, cut their costs in, in light of the fact that they've seen inflation across the board. They've been doing things like reducing 
the assortment, um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, the assortment that companies are, are offering is about 75% of pre-pandemic level. So they're just offering fewer SKUs. They've been working with retailers to take costs out, um, you know, when possible, and just really cutting down the marketing, taking a more granular look at which products are at risk of stockout and pulling back the marketing spend on those products specifically to um, you know, manage inventory levels. And um, you know, speaking of inventory levels, I thought that was a big you know, takeaway is that inventory levels for edible products is still below targeted levels, which seems at odds at the surface of what we've been talking about on freight waves, where you know, on, on freight waves, we've been talking a lot about inventory levels being elevated. I think that's true for a lot of goods. For those goods that are, are edible, that's not true. We're still seeing, um, you know, inventories low, um, sort of in stock rates in that 82 to 86 percent range. What's normal is more like 92 or 93 percent. And I'll get into the the biggest, um, you know, area where the stockouts are really creating, um, you know, difficulty for a lot of people, which is the, is, is the baby formula uh, shortage, which does not um, seem to be getting, uh, you know, better at least not uh, immediately. Um, you know, some of the other uh, you know, things the company, you know. Uh, IRI talked about as being growth areas is sort of not just the obvious of uh, kind of pet food and and health products, but um, really sort of expanding the types of health products that consumers are interested. In. I mean, consumers for you know a long time have been interested in things that are lower calorie, lower sugar, lower fat, those type of things um, in order to look better. But with the pandemic, consumers have also demonstrated a willingness to buy things for brain health stress, um, you know, sort of more like personal care type, uh, you know, attributes for, for, for products. So I thought those were, 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 were interesting, um, which all that I think leads to my next topic is what to expect from CPG earnings. And, you know, CPG, you know, of course, encompasses a wide range of, of companies. So they're not all going to be the same. Um, but really, a lot has changed since the last time the CPG companies report. I mean, usually, when uh, companies report their first quarter, it tends to be kind of an uneventful quarter because the fourth quarter earnings reports, they, you know, if they're in a calendar year, they have extra time to report them. So a lot of times they won't report them until, let's say, February. Uh, and then they'll report their first quarter in mid April. Um, but, you know, th- that time frame coincides with started the war in Ukraine, which, um, you know, gave rise to inflation, um, you know, exacerbated the inflation in ingredients and uh, a fuel uh, transportation, anything sort of petroleum related, you know, whether that was, you know, energy that goes into uh, fertilizer or energy that goes into to, to packaging or just transportation, uh, uh, you know, uh, fuel for, for transportation purposes, all those things um, sort of exacerbated the inflation. And, you know, as much as we've talked about um, freight rates likely to come down on FreightWaves.com, that doesn't mean that a CPG company is out of the woods by any stretch on its cost structure. Because when you look at the breakdown of CPG companies' cost of sales, it's about eight or nine percent of um, their their cost of sales is freight transportation and those other components. Still highly inflationary. Still haven't been given a break. Those are things like ingredients, which is about half of the cost structure, um, you know, packaging, which is a substantial amount, the contract manufacturing is a substantial amount, labor. Um, so all of those things continuing to pressure CPG companies' cost structures. And 
what I expect a lot of companies to do is, um, you know, talk about the guidance that they gave um, when they last reported in either January or February, and maybe walk that back a little bit where a lot of companies have said, we're going to return our margins to pre-pandemic levels by the end of this year or by the third quarter of 2022. I think a lot of those companies are going to extend out that time frame and say, we're going to be operating um, with uh, gross margins below uh, pre-pandemic uh, levels for an extended period of time because it just takes time for those costs that they've seen rise um, and you know, rise further as a result of the, the Ukraine war just get pushed back uh, further. So I think some companies will walk back their um, th- th- their guidance. It'll also be interesting to see if CPG companies have a different tone on um, the el- elasticity of demand, which is basically are, are the consumers changing their behavior uh, for these higher prices. Sort of intuitively, the answer seems like it should be yes. Plenty of anecdotes to the effect that Yes, consumers are are, are um, you know changing their their behavior, but most companies haven't um, you know, admitted to that yet, really. And and just earlier this or last week, Albertsons, a grocery chain, said their consumers are still buying organic. They're still buying some of those things. I do wonder if that you know organic purchases is related to the fact that that's a higher end clientele that doesn't really need to to cut back. That you know they can absorb an extra few hundred dollars of. Um, you know, higher prices and, and, and food and energy still be okay. But it'll be interesting to see if CPG companies walk back any of those, um, the, the, the guidance that they that they, that they said. Um, you know, topic number three here, which I think is really sort of the biggest um, issue, at least, um, you know, from the perspective of, you know, what's really been disruptive. Um, it, it's really been this baby formula shortage, which, uh, you know, just saw a stat earlier today that the baby formula out of stock rate is up to 31% nationwide and really anything above 10% is considered a problem. Um, you know, really you'd like to see that in sort of the, the, the single digit range, particularly for something that is so critical. Like, you know, if you almost relate that to the IRI stuff I was talking about before, 92, 93, 94% is, of, of something that is available is, um, is, is sort of typical. So you'd have an out of stock of maybe, you know, seven, eight percent, but but a 31% out, out of stock, really a big um, issue. That was data from Data Assembly, which um, maybe I'll try to get them on the on the on the show. They seem to have a lot of good statistics there. Um, but so some stores are, are are rationing it, some stores have sort of uh, tightened the rules for you know who can buy you know baby formula or and, and how much they're going for, you know, some of these chains like Walgreens were saying, you know, originally. You could buy as many as, as five. Now they're ratcheting that down to, to three. That may, may go down further. But you sort of put that in perspective, that, that, that 31% stockout rate in, in 2021, it was more like a 2 to 8% you know, stockout rate in January when I think the, the recall you know, happened, the Similac recall, it was 23%. So it doesn't seem to be getting um, you know, better. You know, some places, it's worse than others. Uh, some of the, the, the places where it's been particularly bad Des Moines, uh, Minneapolis, San Antonio. Um, San Antonio had stockouts higher than 50%. So there's a lot of nervous parents um, in San Antonio. And you know, I do wonder if, if you know, some of those you know, locations that are seeing the, the higher stockouts, maybe th- those don't seem to be the, the biggest transportation hubs. So you do wonder if, if some of those um, you know, you know, cities that are a little bit you know, further flung from the, the key 
sort of transportation, um, you know, hubs are, are the ones that are, um, you know, suffering a little bit more, um, you know, from, from the shortage, you know, some of the, the, the factories are, um, you know, shut, shut down. I mean, they, 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 they shut down the, the, the main factory that is supposedly, you know, potentially responsible for the, um, you know, the, the, the recall with, with Similac, although it does, it seems like there's a lot that's still not known there. And I guess, uh, the, you know, the CDC was not able to match the bacteria samples in the four infants that, you know, got the, the bacteria infection, you know, directly to, you know, this particular plant. Um, you know, it was like what those four infants had in common is they all got, um, you know, formula from, you know, this particular plant, but um, it doesn't seem like there's as full of a, of a connection as would, um, you know, w- w- would be the case to say definitively that it came from, you know, this plant, nevertheless, that, you know, plant shuts down. I think, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, consumers have lost confidence in, uh, in, in Similac and it's kind of a, a situation where there's um, sort of zero tolerance for, you know, a, a good to, to, to fail. Um, and it's a, you know, concentrated industry where, you know, only a, a small number of of, of players. And that's the type of thing that, um, you know, it happens in CPG from time to time. It's unfortunate that it's happening um, with such a critical, uh, you know, product, but um, you'll continue to monitor this and, and, and write about it in, um, in, in, in the stock out. I think it's, um, you know, a critical uh, issue. Um, you know, topic number four, um, which may be a little bit more, you know, lighthearted is convenience store sales uh, returning to pre-pandemic levels. You know, this has uh, implications for, um, you know, CPGs, uh, you know, the CPG companies, their highest, some of their highest margin sales uh, come at convenience stores. Um, so when you go, you know, fill up your, your car or truck with uh, gasoline or diesel, um, usually get a, a reasonable price for the fuel and, um, you know, don't pay a reasonable price if you go in and you get a, get yourself a drink. Um, so some of these, these uh, truck stop uh, chains like uh, Travel Centers of America is one that's publicly traded. Uh, you know, they will um, you know, disclose that about 60, they have about a 60% margin on non-fuel sales. And the fuel sales have a gross margin of anywhere from, let's say, 7% to 11%. It does, you know, vary based on, you know, are these large fleets buying fuel that you know, get a very good price or smaller fleets buying fuel that, that that don't benefit from that economies of scale. But but really, um, you know, fueling station, if you know how much non-fuel revenue they have, you pretty much know the whole, um, you know, the whole income statement. And, um, you know, I have a, a map that shows, um, it shows outbound tender volume index for, for, for the long haul in, uh, you know, the, the blue and red, and then, you know, market share size, if you can see the, 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 the height of those, of those graphs. And, you know, this is a chart that I bring up as being relevant to someone who is running a fueling center and, and I think shows um, that there are some creative ways to use sonar, even if you're not a carrier or a broker, which is the the main sort of clientele. So let me explain this for, for, for a second. You can see Atlanta, and that's in dark blue. So this is the past week. We've seen a substantial increase in the, the tender volume coming out of Atlanta. And so if you're um, you know, managing you know, a truck stop chain and you have a truck stop that you can drive to that's within, uh, you know, along a major corridor, let's say between Atlanta and, and Dallas, which might be somewhere in, you know, Mississippi or Louisiana, um, that a driver can drive to within its hours of service um, rules, which, 
tends to be about 400, 450 miles, you know, I would say that um, you're likely to see an increase in activity in, let's say, four days and four days because you can look at also in sonar the tender lead time, which is the lead time when, when a shipper is, is, is asking for a load to be picked up which you know, tends to be two or three days, we can go th- and, and see that precisely. So you can you think, you know, the shippers are, are seeing, are, are, have an increase in requests to pick up a load in, let's say, three days out of Atlanta. You know, a lot of that um, freight from Atlanta goes, you know, west to, say, Dallas. You know, they can drive 400 miles. And, and if you're managing a truck stop, you know that you're going to need to have enough in inventory for a, a surge in um in, in consumption. So if you're managing someone like the Travel Centers of America, a, a love, a pli- pilot flying J, you know, you want to call up you know, whoever's managing those individual locations and say, hey, you know, if you have, don't have enough Diet Coke or running low on anything, you need to, um, you know, have, have you know, higher inventory levels. And I, I think the, the, the same thing is, is true when you see a, a red you know, a portion of, of that, um, of that map, you kind of know where a lot of those, you know, freight, um, you know, volume is, is, is going, you see Baltimore in, in, in red. So something coming through the port of Baltimore, you'd think it's coming, going into the, the center of the country. Uh, you can see a reduction there. So that's a situation where you don't want to order, uh, you know, more inventory. So I think there are a lot of uses in sonar that go beyond, what we typically, um, you know, we typically think of as, you know, this is what a carrier is doing. This is what, a, a, you know, what it means for a broker, what it maybe means for a shipper um, and, and go a little bit you know, beyond that. Um, you know, next topic here is uh, J.B. Hunt uh, reports earnings later today. And I think this will be an interesting one. Um, you know, it does tend to be kind of a bellwether in the industry. They report, you know, very early, um, you know, CSX reports you know, later this week, um, you know, with, with J.B. Hunt, I think it'll be, um, you know, interesting to see what the company's commentary is uh, following the the sell-off in the company's shares, which, you know, really the whole sector sold off as soon as uh, Craig Fuller, CEO of Freightwaves, published, um, you know, a, a number of articles on um, his expectation that the trucking industry is going to slow down. J.B. Hunt sort of got lumped in with other over-the-road carriers. They do have most of their profitability um, in, in the intermodal side of the business, which is more stable, they have a really protected franchise uh, with their partnership with the Burlington Northern Santa Fe, um, you know, on the West, you know, but it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, the stock actually, you know, pops um, because maybe after, you know, the company's commentary, it'll become clear that, um, you know, investors maybe overreacted given that particular, particular company's, uh, you know, revenue uh, mix. It'll also be interesting to see if J.B. Hunt, um, you know, has any uh, change in plans for taking delivery of its domestic intermodal containers. It did announce earlier, um, you know, in the year that they're going to take delivery of about 40,000 containers in the next three to five years. If there's going to be an expectation now that, you know, freight demand is slowing, you do wonder if, um, you know, they're going to take delivery of that equipment later uh, rather than, than, than sooner. So I think that'll be interesting. And then just any, you know, commentary on their, you know, brokerage operation, you know, are they able to buy uh, freight a lot cheaper and, and you know, will that lead to margin expansion on their, um, you know, their, their, their brokerage, you know, segment and just any uh, commentary on trucking. So I think that'll be a good, a, interesting one to watch. Do have one uh, chart from, from Sonar on van, um, you know, volume index. And so this is just so, so interesting that, you um, 
you know, the van volume index in blue, 21% below where it was, you know, last, let's say last October where this chart, chart started. Intermodal uh, volume, these are domestic intermodal volume, which, you know, competes directly with domestic truckload, down only 2%. Usually those move pretty close to each other. Um, it, but, uh, you know, now intermodal's, you know, holding up a lot better. Few reasons for that. I mean, I think with the general inventory increase for a lot of the non-edible goods, freight is less time sensitive. And so it's okay if it takes an extra day in transit, an extra two days in transit. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's almost better for the shipper to, um, you know, have those a little bit slower, you know, supply chains if they already have a lot of those goods already in uh, inventory. So it's kind of an inventory in transit situation. Also think the service levels uh, have improved for intermodal. Uh, relative to where they were last year, where there were so much, so many issues with um, not having enough containers, not containers not being in the right places, not having enough chassis, um, you know, et cetera. And, uh, you know, fuel prices do help um, intermodal volume relative to truckload is about half the fuel surcharge, but I don't think that's the major uh, you know, driver. I think the bigger driver is, you know, higher inventories, better overall service levels, um, you know, than, than, than we have uh, seen. So, that's really what I want to go over uh, today. Um, we'll get out uh, some newsletters later this week and um, hope everyone has a great uh, start to the week.